I had an epiphany last week. It came when I saw the headline that Russell Wilson was joining the Yankees in spring training. No, I'm not about to spout off some kind of hot Kyler Murray baseball-related take. No, this actually isn't even about baseball at all. I saw Wilson's name in that headline, and it dawned on me. Russell Wilson's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, certainly one of the 10 best in the game. Back in 2014, he won a Super Bowl. There's no question Russell Wilson is a franchise quarterback. And guess what? So is Baker Mayfield. Coming out of college, Mayfield is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson was. There's absolutely zero question that's true. Did you know during his three years at NC State, before he transferred to Wisconsin for his final year in college, Russell Wilson completed fewer than 60% of his passes? That's brutal. But back in 2011 with the Badgers, Wilson was fantastic. 3,100 yards, 33 touchdowns, just four interceptions, and Russell Wilson completed 72% of his passes, which is a higher percentage than Mayfield completed this past year. Granted, Mayfield attempted nearly 100 more throws than Wilson and still completed 70%. Prior to the 2012 NFL draft, former Heisman winner Chris Winkie, Sooners fans, you know all about Winkie, of course, from that 2000 Florida State team, before the 2012 draft, Winky said that if Russell Wilson was six foot five, he would probably be the first pick in the draft. John Gruden, the new Raiders head coach, said at the time that the only issue with Russell Wilson is his height. That might be the reason Wilson is not picked in the first couple of rounds. Well, what happened in the draft? Wilson fell to the third round where the Seahawks scooped him up. Five quarterbacks were taken ahead of Russell Wilson. Two of the five players you can make an argument were better than Wilson at the time and thus should have been selected ahead of him. Andrew Luck and RG3, the top two picks in the draft. But the other three players, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon, and Brock Osweiler, none of them played the quarterback position better than Russell Wilson did in college. Yet all of them were drafted ahead of Wilson because, presumably, they were all at least six foot four inches tall. Fast forward to today. Two months from now is the NFL draft, and there's a good chance four, maybe five quarterbacks go not only in the first round, but in the top ten. Despite playing the quarterback position better than everybody else in this draft class, Baker Mayfield is not the consensus number one quarterback. Sam Darnold is really good. Josh Rosen is also really good. Hell, Mason Rudolph is pretty darn good as well. Although I do like Darnold and Rosen much more. I think any of these players can become real NFL quarterbacks, and based on the vast majority of NFL history, I think it's fair to make a case that Darnold and Rosen, maybe even Josh Allen, have better odds at becoming franchise quarterbacks compared to Baker Mayfield because, and this is the important part, because they're all taller than Mayfield. If that's the bit of information you want to use to justify any of those other top quarterbacks over Mayfield, well... I say that's fine. Like I said, NFL history suggests that shorter quarterbacks aren't as successful as taller quarterbacks. However, height is legitimately the only thing that the other quarterbacks have over Baker Mayfield. Notwithstanding Josh Allen's freakish arm strength, nobody can argue he's got the strongest arm. Aside from height and Josh Allen's robot arm, if you're a scout or an NFL exec, or a draft guru, 
or a TV slash radio host. It's just flat out not true if you claim any of the other quarterbacks have better attributes than Baker Mayfield. Accuracy and ball placement, Mayfield by a mile. Ability within the pocket and out of the pocket, Mayfield by a mile. Leadership, an attribute that's difficult to quantify, sure, but once again, Mayfield by a mile. Arm strength, better than Darnold and Rudolph. On par or slightly better than Josh Rosen. Once again, Josh Allen, a freak. I can't wait to see where Mayfield gets drafted. As long as he doesn't go to a trash organization with a garbage offensive coach, he's going to be really good in the NFL. Maybe even better than Russell Wilson. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. They're down at eight for the Sooners. Rail going for the end zone. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Malcolm Kelly. The Yonkers' first collegiate touchdown. He's out of Longview, Texas. The coach is very high on him. Malcolm Kelly's 25-yard touchdown grab in the fourth quarter gave OU some breathing room against Kansas back on October the 15th, 2005. It was Kelly's first career touchdown, a touchdown that he caught from the one and the only Rhett Bomar. The Sooners went on to beat the Jayhawks 19-3 in what was an incredibly ugly display of football. Hi, everyone. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join us here in a moment to talk about the Sooners participating at the NFL Combine this week. We'll discuss the recent NCAA basketball corruption news and how it pertains to football. And Grant will try and explain to me why this is interesting, because I'll be honest with you guys, this story kind of bores me. And hey, the OU basketball team finally won a game, so we'll talk about hoops as well. But first, it's your weekly reminder that we are on Facebook. If you're on Facebook as well, please locate the West of Everest podcast page and give us a like. We'd really appreciate that. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, feel free to give the show a rating. And if you really enjoy listening, please leave us a review as well. Also, as you all know, you can email us westofeverest at gmail.com. That's westofeverest at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow all uh, all of Grant and I's hot takes on Twitter, I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. Now let's bring in Grant and see how it's going in Minnesota. It's unseasonably warm today, Lee. It's like 45 degrees and sunny. It's awesome. I love it. Also, still have snow on the ground? Oh, well, yeah. There's probably like 20 inches of snow on the ground, but I digress. So I I, I, got to give you credit, Lee. I love Malcolm Kelly. I think Malcolm Kelly is one of the more kind of underappreciated, maybe maybe not forgotten, but slightly forgotten. One of the better kind of players in the in the Bob Stoops era that I think people forget. I'm still a little salty that he uh, he, he chose not to come back for his senior year. He would have been the number one receiver on that 2008 team. Well, yeah, and, and I, we, I forgot to mention the reason why we use Malcolm Kelly is because back on, during his true freshman season, Kelly wore number two, and this is the last. February show so we had to uh, showcase another Sooner who wore number two and of course Kelly switched to jersey number four his next two years at OU but that that first year as a freshman he wore number two and that was his first career touchdown catch but I was going back wa- uh, watching a little bit of highlights from that game 19 to 3 over Kansas like Kansas had less than 100 yards of total offense but OU was 
was bad in that game. Like Rhett Bomar was horrible. I mean, that was he, just... he, yeah, he completed like twelve of like thirty passes, and yeah, I mean, Adrian Peterson was on that team, and it's just that was not a good game for OU. That was just a really ugly season in general. If you recall, that was the year they lost to TCU in the opening the opening game, kind of the first you know down year in, in Bob Soup's tenure, and they they were a little snake bit by injuries and whatnot. They played probably the toughest schedule in the country that year as well. Uh, the defense was really good that year, but obviously you know they a lot of graduations from the offense from 03 and 04 the year before that. So I I actually remember that game. Lee. That game was on TBS, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. I was back when TBS did games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so if any of you want to question my encyclopedic uh, knowledge of Oklahoma football, please know that I did I did recall that that game against Kansas was played on TBS all the way back in 2005. So why do wow, I know that? I have absolutely no idea. Incredibly useless amounts of information. All right, let's talk Combine. Six Sooners will be in Indy this week to show off for NFL scouts. Mark Andrews, Orlando Brown, Dimitri Flowers, Baker Mayfield, Oboe, and Jordan Thomas. Now, the first on-field workouts of the Combine are not until Thursday, but today we record this on Tuesdays. That's when we record the podcast. This is the day where Orlando Brown and Dimitri Flowers should be arriving in Indy, going through orientation, seeing the doctors for all their medical evaluations and all that fun stuff. Then Wednesday, Mayfield and Andrews will arrive, Oboe on Thursday, and then finally Jordan Thomas on Friday. And of course, throughout the week, all those guys will be working out on the field during uh, during different days at different times. So Grant, first question for you on this episode of West of Everest. Out of all those guys at the Combine, which player are you most looking forward to following along with this week, this week and checking out? Actually, I, I think the person that I'm most interested in just to see, I want to see how he tests is Dimitri Flowers, just because I, I want to see, I, I, th- I think all of us think he's a really good athlete and maybe he's, he's kind of a, like a, a diminutive athlete where he, he, it, he makes it look so easy. Maybe it doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't look as fluid as, or doesn't look like he's working as hard as other guys. I'm, I'm curious to see what he runs. Uh, I'm also curious to see what they do if, if they let him catch passes and whatnot. But I, I think the guy that I'm really going to be uh, most invested in just because I had made a comment a couple weeks ago that I, I don't think I, I I have an idea that he may not test particularly well, and that's Orlando Brown. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who at the end of this combine, a lot of people say hurt his stock a little bit. Hmm, yeah, and you said that before, and that was one of the guys that I was going to mention too because I'm curious to see how he does because you mentioned that weeks ago. Uh, but he's not the main guy I'm interested in, and this is boring, but I'm mostly interested in Baker Mayfield. Because when Baker Mayfield is playing football, I will watch it, even if it's against air. And um, and this kind of leads into uh, my next question f- for you. And uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to add as far as who you're most looking forward to watch? Because just like the opening take, I want to talk Baker Mayfield for a decent amount of time in this podcast and if you don't have anything else to add from the first question, we'll move on to Baker Mayfield. No, I'll just I'll, I'll add a little bit, just kind of everyone. Obviously, I, I want to see how Mark Andrews runs, and that's going to be the main theme with all these guys. I, I just want to see how fast they are. I think that's one of the big ones. Um, one of the one of the drills that's that's gotten a lot of notoriety lately is is kind of that broad jump because that is kind of a good indicator of overall athleticism. So uh, on that one, the, the the two that I'm or the three that I'm really interested to see their broad jump would be you know Dimitri Flowers, Obo 
although I have, I, I kind of have a, a weird suspicion that Oboe is going to test off the charts. Um, and then Jordan Thomas too. I, I'm completely intrigued to see if he's, cause I, I mean, he's, he, he's got the look, he's got the body of an NFL corner. I think, um, of course the on-field results from this past season were disastrous. Uh, I we'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if he's been working hard, keeping his body in shape. I'm not, I don't really know. I, I, I'm just completely curious to see if he looks completely overmatched or out of place there. All right, let's talk Mayfield. We saw him throw at the Senior Bowl during uh, Senior Bowl practice week. He was up mainly against Josh Allen, and Mayfield was much better than Josh Allen and had a nice week of practice. Now we get a chance to see Mayfield throw alongside Allen again, plus Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Mason Rudolph. And then others, of course. So the quarterback on-field drills are Saturday. So we have to wait until Saturday. For you, is this must-see TV? Um, let's see here. I'm trying to – how can I answer this? I'll, I'll just give you a one-word answer for now, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll expand. No, it's not must-see TV. And, and why is that? Just be, It's not – I, I know you said that you just like to watch Baker Mayfield, and I think maybe you you added in that little comment there about you you'll, you'll watch him against air. I think that's probably what you were referencing here. I I love Baker Mayfield. I, he's he's arguably my favorite Sooner of all time. I'm not particularly interested in watching him throw drills uh, at the combine. If anything of note happens, I can always go back and look at it on the internet. And that's basically. And I know that's kind of a, a lame answer, but honestly, man, I, I the, the drills are really not what do it for me especially with the qbs i already know i already know baker mayfield's gonna look great during those qb drills um i i'm much more interested in how athletically he's gonna be because you you brought up russell wilson in the in the opening take lee the one thing that you did conveniently leave out is that i think russell wilson is is inarguably a better athlete than baker mayfield russell wilson is arguably one of the 10 best athletes in, in the world so uh and, and I'm not necessarily ready to put Baker Mayfield kind of like on, on an elite level athlete trajectory there. So um, I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in how he's going to test because I, I think that's going to be a better indication of, uh, of if he's going to be a successful NFL player because, frankly, I expect him to, to be dynamite with the, the QB drills. Now, let's, let's touch on that, the, one of your last comments there about uh, his athleticism. I think that's one of the most overrated things that I've heard when it comes to Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield. Because when I watch Baker Mayfield play, and I, I get it, it's, it's, we've seen Russell Wilson now play for six years in the NFL. It's, it's a much higher level of foot, uh, football. Uh, they do a lot of the same things, and Baker Mayfield does a lot of the same things better than Russell Wilson did in college. And Wilson ran a lot more than Mayfield did in college. Uh, Mayfield didn't have to run, so he was able to throw the ball more. So the fact that Wilson kind of relied on his legs a lot more until his last year. His last year at at Wisconsin, he was a lot more of a pocket passer type quarterback. He didn't have to run as much for his life, probably because the team around him was better than it was at NC State. Uh, I guess my point being is that Mayfield had a lot more experience not just relying on his legs. He has a lot more experience sitting in the pocket, creating, and then throwing it, which is a lot more useful when it comes to the NFL. And Wilson's been a lot more uh, mobile in the NFL recently because the offensive line has been terrible in Seattle. And uh, he's had to just make a lot of stuff up. And, and he's been fantastic. I mean, imagine if his offensive line was any good, he'd be that much better. I mean, he's improved significantly over the years. And obviously, he's a, he's a really good quarterback now. 
But as far as like coming out of college, I, I think the athleticism thing is kind of overrated because, I mean, what do you mean by that? Just because Russell Wilson played baseball as well, is that why he's a better athlete than Baker Mayfield? No, just look at them physically. I mean, Russell Wilson is much more imposing physically. He's also much faster, and he's just, he's, he's just clearly a much more fluid athlete. Um, hmm. I'm I, And sure, I mean, I... I understand that it can be a, a tad, maybe an overrated talking point. You know, I mean, the the two best quarterbacks of all time are Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and they're they're nowhere near the athlete of Baker Mayfield. Um, and so this is this is not to rip Baker. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a professional level athlete. I just think Russell Wilson is on like the level of like like an Olympic gold medal winning athlete who is also really good at throwing a football. Um, I. And this is not. I, I think. I think coming out of college, I think Baker Mayfield is better than Russell Wilson. Um, and so, but I, I think you do have to. It, you do have to take into account what Baker Mayfield does and why he's been successful. And yes, he is. He, he is good at maneuvering the pocket. But a part of his charm and a part of his success in college was him being slippery and, and honestly being able to run away from people. I don't think he's going to be able to do that in the NFL, at least not regularly. There's how many times did you see over the course of his college career that he was just able to get away from a defensive end coming after him? And how often was that defensive end, you know, a an NFL 10-year veteran or anyway, or Von Miller or something like that? None of them. So, um I don't know. Yeah, it's, that that's definitely a, a good point. I mean, like that I mean, Johnny Manziel got away with that a lot in college and then he found out quickly that he couldn't get away with it in the NFL. Uh granted don't want to compare the two players because Mayfield's so much better at throwing and and uh, completing passes within the concept and design of the play than than Manziel was. So um, that's not the first thing Baker Mayfield thinks when things start to break down. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to run for my life, like Manziel did. Um, but yeah, I think that's 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 a valid point. That uh, you know, we'll see if his escapability is is just as effective in the NFL uh, as it was. And yeah, for my his entirety of his my, college career. My, my point being is that. So Baker Mayfield is, yeah, he th- that escapability is not going to be the same. And and Russell Wilson at the at the level he's at, Russell Wilson can outrun damn near anyone on the field. I mean, corners, receivers, anyone. Baker can't do that. And so I I I think it's a little naive to think that 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 won't be an issue. Maybe not an issue, but it, it's certainly going to be a factor. Um, and and but I I mean I give Baker credit. I think he knows that. I don't think he's he's naive or or ignorant about that at all. Um, and I, I think you saw it a lot this year too. He was I, I thought his senior year he was much better in the pocket than he was his first two years. Um, just stepping up and sensing pressure. And I think that's only going to get better. Um, and and I'll you know honestly it completely depends on what team he goes to as well uh, with an offensive line. Uh, Russell Wilson stepped into a wonderful situation uh, with Seattle when he got drafted. Well, I think the combine, the quarterbacks throwing, I think it is must-see TV just because there's so many big names at the quarterback position participating in the combine, and I, I want to see how Mayfield stacks up with them. And, I mean, we know Baker lives for the competition, so that's going to be interesting to see because he, he looks so good going up against Josh Allen, which was not, not surprising at all. But, I mean, Josh Rosen, uh, Mason Rudolph are both better than Josh Allen as far as for just basic throwing. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And also, too, just uh, – I'm starved for football. I mean, football is my favorite sport. We're almost into March, and it's been about two months roughly without football and and just anything with, like, real consequence. And I get that it's the combine, so, like, nobody's winning or losing. But, I mean, this is going to have some some, uh, impact on the draft and and how these scouts see them. So just anything like that, I'm all for. 
Um, and also, too, I think it's interesting because I think more people will pay attention to the combine compared to the Senior Bowl. For those who watched it, Mayfield was the best quarterback during the Senior Bowl. But like I said, he wasn't going up against all the other quarterbacks. Now he's going to be side by side with everybody, except for Sam Darnold, who's not going to be throwing from what I understand. So I think it's going to be pretty fun to watch all those guys, how they stack up. And I mean, everybody understands that the combine's on end all be all kind of thing. But I think it's fair to say that you need to be able to throw the football accurately when you're not being pressured and you're in your underwear. And if you can't be effective in that setting, then how can I expect you to be effective with pads on and with a defense trying to stop you? So I think the the combine certainly does does have some benefit to uh, the the quarterback the quarterback evaluation process. Um, do you think it's uh, surprising that Darnold's not going to throw? I'm just curious what your thoughts on that are. I was actually that's why I didn't just respond to your your latest comment because I was I was deep in thought about that. I'm trying to convince myself. So my 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 first I almost went out and said like a hacky take. I I almost just went out and said you know Lee I think I think Darnold's going to be a bust. I almost just came out and said it, but then I kind of. <laughs> I, I kind of went back. I was like, "No, I mean, don't do that." You're, there's, but it's it's interesting because I I think it, you know, gun to your head right now, you would have to say Sam Darnold is probably the odds-on favorite to be the number one pick, right? Um, and so, and and yeah, I think, I've seen I think I've seen Darnold as the number one pick more than anybody else. And yeah, and it's it's certainly not an overwhelming majority of people saying that. I think that's just probably the plurality of of everything right now that he's the number one pick. So I, I'm curious, which which means it's a very fluid situation, and he thinks that any sort of negative information might might knock him off that top line. So it could just be as as simple as that. Maybe he just he he doesn't want to risk having a bad day. Um, you know, I I, I I'm I'm very lukewarm on Sam Darnold, and I kind of always have been. Um, we'll, we'll see. I I don't want to. I don't want to jump to conclusions with him, but I just, I, the closer that we get and the more that I reflect on it, the, just the more I start to think to myself, I think he's got bust written all over him, but I, I may certainly be wrong. I'm, I'm going to do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do more of my due diligence over the course of the, of the process and look at it. But I, he's, he, he's a guy who, who has put what, maybe 20 games of tape, uh, you know, in college and, outside of one, you know, spectacular Rose Bowl performance and some other good performances down the stretch his, his redshirt freshman year, you know, his, has has Sam Darnold ever really been a quarterback that, that opposing defenses are just terrified of? Um, no, no, he hasn't. And and here's here's my quick take on Sam Darnold. I think he's he's, in, he's incredibly talented. But here's here's a I guess think think of it this way. Last year Deshaun Kaiser came out of school from Notre Dame and Brian Kelly went on the record and said he's not ready yet yet Deshaun Kaiser was drafted albeit what, what, what was he was he late first round or second round pick something like that to the Browns and yeah it's the Browns but you know Kaiser played a lot this year and he was pretty bad Deshaun Kaiser threw a ton of picks and he wasn't very good and even if he didn't go to the Browns he likely still would have been bad he just he he was incredibly raw like Brian Kelly said, you watch him in college, he, he never really looked like a guy that was ready for the NFL. Certainly he had the tools, but he could have he could have benefited from another year in college. Now, Sam Darnold, I think, is the same thing. I think Sam Darnold's better than Deshaun Kaiser by by quite a bit. However, I think Sam Darnold is not really ready for the NFL. I think Sam Darnold would, would have definitely benefited for one more year in college, but he will be taken, obviously, maybe even first overall, and so, therefore, he's taking advantage of the fact that he's a young guy. He only has X amount of years where he's allowed to play, where he's going to be able to play football. So he came out, 
which, I mean, financially and, and for his future, probably the smart thing to do. I just don't see him being that great right off the bat in the NFL compared to, say, I can see Josh Rosen being really, really good. I mean, for uh, you know, a rookie standard. And then I, I can also see Baker Mayfield being really, really good uh, based on rookie standards. Uh, Sam Darnold, I, I don't see it. So that's my somewhat quick but also not that quick take right now on Sam Darnold. Yeah, let me just kind of elaborate a little more on that. I I, I agree with you. I And, and my, my main selling point here is that just when did you watch Sam Darnold outside of that Rose Bowl from, from last year and just say, wow, did he do anything that just amazed you or um, just like, wow, that guy is so good. And he just never really did that to me. And I, I mean, there was I, one one play this past year that where I said, wow. And it came against Texas when they played Texas and they almost got beat by Texas. It was late in the game. He had like a jump pass over the middle where he it wasn't very uh, technically sound. It was just like kind of like a playmaker kind of play. And it was for a touchdown, I think, like that. And I thought, oh, wow, that was a really nice play by Sam Darnold that he really had no business making. So like, but I outside of that play, I can't really think of any other like, oh, my gosh, wow, what a what a play by him. And yeah. And so I, I just I'm. I'm very lukewarm on him, and I do. I I I think his talent is kind of just you know dripping off of him. He he's got a strong arm. He's he's surprisingly mobile and athletic, which I think is you know obviously is is a plus. Um, I I just I, I don't think that offensive scheme did him any favors. Um, I think that that was one of the big things about uh, you know during the whole Tennessee coaching search, they were talking about how much they wanted T Martin at USC. I'm not really impressed by T Martin's offense at USC at all. Um, go back, actually, you know, go back and watch that Rose Bowl where Darnold was so good, and, and what you'll see is you'll see see a lot of mixes. You'll see uh, a vast majority of throws are going to be pretty pretty close to the line of scrimmage, easy one read throws, and then he will make kind of that one wow throw over the middle of the field that he that he fits into a tight box, and you say that's just a, that's a great play. And then that's kind of all I've seen from him, I, and I, I just haven't seen it the rest of his career. So I'm I'm curious as to what. Um, just I, I'm curious as to how he handles it mentally because, like I said, I, I just I, I don't think he was asked to make a lot of NFL throws in that T. Martin offense at USC, um, and I think Baker Mayfield was, um, and I think Josh Rosen probably was too. So I, I'm I, I'm curious, and this is this is in this is in no way me saying that Sam Darnold's definitely going to be a bust. I just his his his, and I don't think he has like any personal red flags or anything like that. Seems like a great great kid. I just. Everything I just I just have a feeling that he's he 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 screams bust all over him. That that's that's my point, and I, I know that was a very scientific uh, you know analytical approach there, but um, I, I just I, I have a weird feeling about Sam Darnold. In conclusion, let's talk briefly about Jordan Thomas. Now I I, I think a lot of people were probably surprised to see his name come up in as somebody who was invited to the combine, and uh, you know it, it me his invite means that NFL scouts are interested in him and they want to see him work out in Indy. So I decided to go to NFL.com and I wanted to look up his write-up because every player that's going to the combine, they do a little write-up of everybody. And I want to hear what – here's some, here's some thoughts. So I, I'll go to hit the analysis where they, they put down strengths and weaknesses. And – I'll start with the strengths, and we'll talk about whether or not we agree or disagree with uh, with these strengths, and then we'll go to the weaknesses. I've already read both of these. Uh, let's just say the weaknesses part's pretty spot on, but there are some of the strengths where I'm also kind of 
I kind of questioned some of it. At least we didn't see a whole lot of these strengths in 2017. Maybe we saw them in 2016 and 2015, not necessarily in 2017. So NFL.com lists Jordan Thomas's strengths as decent size with a smooth back pedal. 2016 tape was much better and showed a cornerback with patience when operating outside the numbers. Okay, that's that's true. So maybe maybe they're basing this off of his 2016 tape. Now that I'm I'm reading this back again. Furthermore, it says his ball skills are impressive, uses every inch of his arm length when challenging catches, reads receivers' eyes and at time and times his leap accordingly. Springy leaper who can match hands at the catch point plus eye hand coordination, has instincts to work with, has enough short area quickness and length to be disruptive when challenging throws from off coverage, recognizes double moves and vertical challenges, reactive and aware at attacking wide receiver screens. Now, that's the the length of his strengths part, and it makes me wonder if that's all based on his 2016 tape because based on 2017 tape, Grant, I, I got to tell you, ball skills were not impressive in 2017. There were so many balls that he just failed to get a hand on. He failed to break up passes. I mean, he played almost every single game. Had to, I, think, I think he had maybe one or two pass breakups. Trey Norwood comes in and I think finished the year with like almost 10 in way fewer games. I mean, uh, reads receivers' eyes and times his leaps accordingly. I There were a lot of times, though, where it seemed like his timing was pretty good in 2017. He just he His ball skills were not there. And uh, what are your thoughts on those strengths? Is that what you remember for this this past year? No, not at all. I mean, that's and that maybe not even and that's only I don't know moments of 2016. When I when I think of the the glory days of Jordan Thomas, I go all the way back to 2015 when that was obviously absolutely his best season. I thought. Um, no, I the yeah the the ball skills thing kind of kind of surprises me. So the. The reason why Jordan Thomas got invited to the combine is because he's an ideal corner cornerback body. I mean, I think that's that he's got he's got long arms. He's he's tall for a cornerback, and he is, he's a smooth athlete. That that's one of the things that they do get right there. And I mean his his arms are freakishly long, and, and I think you know if if he tests well, I can absolutely see a team taking a flyer on him. It makes sense. He might the light may come on with a different coaching staff. Well, NFL dot com projects him as a sixth or seventh round pick. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, if he tests really well, maybe he'll get drafted. I mean, I would, I would guess that he's not going to get drafted just because I just, I'm just, I'm not sure if he, uh, the, the last time we saw him, it was not good. So, I mean, if he tests really well, like you said, this combine. Yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, a team, team, might I think take if a flyer he, on him. I think if he tests well, like if he tests at the level that, uh, you know, a, a regular NFL cornerback would test at, I, I yeah I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got drafted because that that tells you that it's it's maybe just technique that he's being taught or uh, he just needs to get someone else in his ear and needs to be taught a different way if if they think that he is athletically capable of playing the NFL it wouldn't surprise me at all if he got drafted and he certainly is he certainly is athletic athletically capable as you pointed out and and you're right your his body type is is very nice for a corner yeah and- I mean he's I I'm gonna be interested to see how he runs I've never thought of him as particularly fast. Um, like for instance, if he runs a four seven, I mean, good night, Irene, he's not getting drafted. So we'll see. I am I'm, I'm curious. I'm very curious to see what he's going to run. I think he, he might test really well. Like it says, I, he might jump out of the building. Um, when they, when they measure his wingspan, his arms, I think scouts are going to be like, Oh, I really like that. Um, it's, it's going to come down to how he runs and how, I mean, if he, if he can put up big numbers in that game and if he can 
get a defensive coaching staff that knows what they're doing. Um, he, he's a guy that, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't completely shock me uh, if, if he got drafted and had a, a semi-decent, successful NFL career. But obviously, you know, based off of what we saw in the 2017 season, I, it's, it, 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 it's certainly odd to be talking about it just based off of how bad he was. I thought he maybe had you know, the worst season of any defensive player I've ever seen at OU. And I'm, that's maybe putting it lightly. Well, best of luck to Jordan Thomas. He uh, he needs to have a stellar week. So we'll be keeping an eye on, on Jordan Thomas. Uh, definitely. Uh, before we move on to the NCAA corruption case, let's just have a little bit of fun here. Let's guess some 40 times for some of the guys. So 40-yard dash is like the premier event at the NFL Combine. Everyone wants to know how fast everybody is. Let's just, I mean... We'll, we'll guess some times. We'll see how close we get. So we'll start with Jordan Thomas. How, how fast do you, have 40 th- do you think Thomas will run, Grant? I think he's going to run a 4-6. Yeah, I do too. I guess in high school, I think he was clocked at like 4-5. And that's probably not uh, not electronically timed. So, yeah, I think 4-6 is a good guess. I think I'm going to go with 4-6 as well. Uh, how about Oboe? I think Oboe will be in the 4-6 or 4-7 range. Um, well, I'll, I'll say 4-7 just not to be uh, too hacky. So I'll say 4-7. Yeah, I bet, I'm going to say 4.75. I think he's going to be a little slower than we think. I, I think uh, he's, a little, he's a little stiff with his running, and I think he, uh, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I think it'd be great if he's faster than that, but I, I'm going to say around about 4.75. How about that? Uh, Mark Andrews, big tight uh, end. Probably around the same. It'll be in the 4.7, 4.8 range, I would guess. I I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me completely if he ran a better time, but he, I mean, he's one of those guys too who just who just never really looks that fast on the field. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. If I think Mark Andrews runs better than a four eight. I will be surprised. I will be. I don't think he's. I don't think Mark Andrews is that fast. At least he doesn't look like it on the field. Maybe when you strip him down to his underwear and he doesn't have big pads on and he gets to get you know straight line speed. Maybe he's actually a lot faster than he looks. Uh, which I'm you know. He probably is because I mean everyone's going to be faster when they're not wearing any pads. Uh, but I'm going to say if, if I'm going to say he's a he's a he's a four eight guy, and if he beats four eight, then that'll be great. Good for him. And and you know I mean there's just some guys who are fast but don't really look that fast. Gronk's really fast. He looks slow as hell when he's running. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. And, and I mean that's that's not to compare Mark Andrews to Gronk. I mean no one no one's really comparable to Gronk. But it it was just a point. Dimitri Flowers. That's kind of a fun one. What do you think? Four six. I think he's gonna run a four six. I was looking at his uh, his old high school recruiting pages, and in high school he was clocked at four eight three. Oh, okay, interesting. So, so basically, uh, what you're thinking is that he's he's gotten faster during his time at OU, which I think it'd be fair to you know four years in a program. You're you're working on your body speed. I mean, I could see him being faster. Um, I'm going to say Dimitri Flowers runs a 4-7. I just I can't get him just outrunning the Ohio State defense uh, to the goal line out of my mind. He outran Denzel Ward, who's going to be a top ten pick maybe. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I'm just. I. I it could have just been a, a game tape or game speed type deal. I don't know. But I. 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 I've probably been a little generous. But maybe this is just what I want to happen. I. I love Dimitri Flowers. This is probably just what I want to happen. So I'll. I'll stick with it. I'll say four six. And uh, finally, we're not going to do uh, Orlando Brown because forty times aren't that big of a deal for offensive linemen. Uh, we'll do. Uh, we'll do Baker Mayfield. Who's and and I'll, I'm going to guess. I, 
you know, everyone says Mayfield's everyone thinks Mayfield's kind of slow. I I think he looks pretty quick. I mean, when he I remember that play against TCU where he had like a 50 yard run. And I mean, he I think he's I think he's a little quicker than people think. I'm going to say Mayfield runs a four, four, seven. I'm going to say four, nine, just because I, I'm always like disappointed by these times typically. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to bake that into the cake and I'll just my disappointment and I'll, I'll say four, nine. Although, I mean, I obviously wouldn't be surprised if he ran better than that. Okay. Let's move on to this NCAA corruption story, which as far as I'm concerned, I think it's incredibly layered and and pretty complicated. So, uh, I mean, first off, Grant, you and I talked about this a little bit before the show. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the show, I talked about how this kind of bores me, this whole story. And I know that you're a lot more interested in this story than I am. So tell me why I should be more interested in this entire story. Well, I think you should be interested just because of, of what could happen after the fact. It's not, if you're talking about just like the, the stand, you know, the, the standard facts of the case and yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily interesting to read about Sean Miller approving hundred K for Deandre Ayton. I mean, it's, we, we all know it's happening and it's not, you know, if, uh, no, there's gambling here. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. But it's, I, I, it's it's interesting because of what could happen to college sports afterwards, and and it's 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 going to make the big old you know, you know the long debate of you know should we play or should we pay college players? That's going to come back to the forefront. Um, there's been lots of people talking about how uh, college college sports needs needs to adapt a free market enterprise to get recruits and stuff like that. I think that spurns just some or uh, spurs just some interesting conversations. And so for me Lee, it's not it's not necessarily this story, but it's it's the it's the stuff that happens after the story. How is the NCAA going to react to this? Um, how are the professional sports leagues, mostly the NBA and the NFL, how are they going to react to this? Um, I I'm curious to see if there's any dominoes that will fall or if it's just going to be status quo like it almost always seems to be with the NCAA so that's that's what I'm that's why I'm interested in I like I like the conversations that that happen after the fact and um and I like conversations that have depth and I think this story has a lot of depth to it and I don't think there's any one right answer to fix these things and that's that's why it's interesting it's 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 fun to have conversations about it just because I think everybody um everyone's kind of qualified to have an opinion on it because it's just it's college sports it's it's really not that important so it's it's fun to talk about and you know there there is you know there's billions of dollars changing hands and and so when that happens it always complicates things so um, it just as someone who who loves college sports and, and and wants to see them, you know, as pure as humanly possible, but I'm also not naive enough to think that they're always pure. Um, it's 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 just an interesting story, and I've it's I, I think it's going to be a story that looms large over college sports in general, you know, maybe for the next decade or so, or at least until someone decides that changes need to be made. A lot of when this story is brought up in the last week. Uh, it seems like the vast majority of not just people in the media, but people, fans, you know, people who follow college sports, it seems like everybody just rips on the NCAA. The NCAA is terrible. I hate the NCAA. Uh, I, I don't like the NCAA either, but it's, it's more for other reasons, not necessarily this stuff. Uh, for example, um, uh, when it comes to me not liking the NCAA, my biggest gripe with with this organization is most of my uh, most of my complaints with the NCAA stem from actually college football, 
and and the NCAA's inability to make college football better. And and that basically just stems from not utilizing a real playoff system at the D1 level. Like the NCAA's I, I made sure to do some more research on this so I didn't talk like out of my butt when it came to this uh, whole scenario. Basically, what I understand is that the NCAA's love of the the random bowl system that they had for all those years where we've gotten comments from listeners to the show that actually people really enjoyed the whole bowl system back when all these bowl games were on New Year's Day and there was national championship implications for every single bowl game. And and some people enjoyed that and liked that. And so the NCAA apparently liked that as well. But that random system of bowl games and not having the ability to pick a real true national champion basically led to big time conferences getting together along with Notre Dame to create the BCS and then now the college football playoff which sure the NCAA has nothing to do with the college football playoff either I know that's and that's that, that's my that's my point is that the NCAA had all this time all this time to implement what the NCAA does at the D2 level and at the D3 level with an actual football tournament that includes multiple teams, but they like the bowl system a lot more, obviously, and conferences and, uh, again, Notre Dame, because they're independent, finally was like, you know what, we're tired of this. We're tired of having uh, you know, basically the AP voting on who the national champion is at the end of the year as opposed to the national champion being determined by an actual game and so they got together and created the BCS and then created college the college football playoff like away from the NCAA and the NCAA is kind of just there like okay well whatever I guess we'll just like let you guys do do your thing and they just didn't take charge in it and it's like the one sport where they didn't didn't take charge and I think that's ridiculous because that's the most popular sport so that's my biggest gripe with the NCAA so I don't really have many thoughts when it comes to the NCAA when it comes to this whole college basketball corruption thing and part of that is because I haven't done a whole lot of research on the story. Another part of it, too, just seems to me like we got a bunch of guys who are potentially just breaking NCAA rules, but also because they're breaking NCAA rules, they're also apparently breaking federal rules and like could be going to prison for years and years and years because they're trying to get around NCAA rules, which to me seems like... Uh, maybe that's maybe that's justice i don't know like but i don't know and it's uh, i think this kind of adds to the whole the whole story about like why it's so complicated and why there's so many different layers yeah uh, i mean i'm it's it's interesting and and i think i think it also needs to be mentioned that the ncaa is not changing anything without you know the ncaa athletic directors i mean the ad's are basically the ncaa they could they could decide tomorrow if they wanted to just ditch the ncaa and think of something better but they don't um, so there's obviously a reason for that. And I think, you know, there's, uh, like, like I brought it up, the, the athletic directors have, have a huge role to play in it. And that's also the case with college football. I also want to credit you. You'll, you'll use anything to, uh, to bring up your, your 24 team college football playoff, uh, crusade. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll give you credit for that. Uh, but I don't know. The, the whole thing is just, is, is interesting to me. One, because, you have the NCAA in this situation. And I think um, there's just been there's been so many counter arguments spurned for, or spurred from all of this, uh, especially because you know you have the let's pay all the players talking point out in full force now, which 
I mentioned to you is, you know, if any, which doesn't hold up to scrutiny at all, if you actually, you know, try to criticize it, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible take to pay every athlete in the NCAA. And I, it will always be a bad take. Um, the interesting thing about this, Lee, is that, um, and of course, this is, this is a big, this is a big scandal, you know, with college basketball. But it's the professional leagues that are actually are the main reason why this is happening, because the NBA and the NFL use college sports as, as basically their their free minor leagues that they don't have to pay for, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, these these players presumably are being paid to go to these schools because, um, you know, their market value is actually worth more than what their scholarships are actually worth, which presumably wouldn't be a problem if they were allowed to go straight to the pros and make money right out of college, which the professional sport leagues do not allow, actually. Um, the NCAA presumably is fine with it because they were for, you know, however many years they did it with the NBA. Uh, but it's those professional sports leagues that aren't allowing it. So I think, you know, if 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 you have to define what the problem is, what 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 problem do you actually want to fix? Do you want to fix the NCAA as just a corrupt organization in general? Then you're going to need to lobby the athletic directors to ditch the NCAA or get someone in there that they think is going to do a better job. Um, newsflash, that's never going to happen. Um, second of all, or or do you want to? Do you want to decide is 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 the problem these these high profile players being paid to go to these schools or in this sense it's more you know more publicized it's basketball and I'm sure it goes on in football as well. Do you want to decide is that the problem? And so if that's the case, then you need to try to get the professional sports leagues um, to play ball with you. I I don't know if they're willing to do that. I think this this whole model works out really well for them and I think they're they're more than okay with sitting back and letting the NCAA take take the heat for everything when they could they could probably step in right away and 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 take care of a lot of the problems by just amending the rules a little bit. Yeah, and this is something that you probably don't have much information on cuz I I don't either, but uh, I mean obviously for many many years the NBA didn't have the rule that you had to go to college for at least a year. And obviously we saw big time players like LeBron James and Tracy McGrady and uh, what, what did Dwight think Dwight Howard? I think he might've gone right, uh, right away. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't remember the whole list. Kobe Bryant went right to the NBA. And so like, like basically my point is I wonder it, we didn't hear a, we, there wasn't a, a gigantic bombshell Yahoo Sports article back in the 90s or whatever when this was going on. There is now. But at the same time, though, there is also Blue Chips, the movie where basically like all they're just saying that like everyone is paying everybody. And then heck, you got he got game with Ray Allen where there's like scenes where basically they're just recruiting him and they're just giving him everything. And and so it, even so basically my point is even before the one and done thing. This probably was an issue. So, was it still like was it is is it worse now than it was before, or has it always been the same? And again, you may not even know the answer to that question. Yeah, so, no, ab- yeah. absolutely, and that's something that I that I brought up. And it's it's an absolutely defensible argument to say, well, even if you do open up these professional sports leagues to, you know, the, the seniors from high school who just want to jump straight there, who's saying that you know? programs and I'm I'm talking about college basketball now as an example. Who's who's to say programs like Duke and Arizona and Kentucky aren't just going to acknowledge, okay, those guys are a lost cause, they're going to the NBA, and then they'll just funnel all of the resources to the, you know, the guys starting with, you know, like the fifteenth best player in the country and he come he becomes the most highly coveted player for Kentucky or Duke. You know what? And that that probably would happen. You know, we 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 can just say that off conjecture. We don't know it for sure, but I think 
it probably would. So it's um, it's it's not a slam dunk, no pun intended, that just you know opening up those those professional sports leagues to high schoolers is is going to work. Um, and now actually that I explain it to my head, I'm not sure that it will. So I'm not advocating for any for for any solution. I'm just saying that it's it, it is a very complicated case. It's it's not as easy as just paying all the players. It's it, it's it's not. Um, and so I, th- that's why I, I I just really like issues like this, be, ones that are layered, have depth, and just have have many different um, potential outcomes or solutions. Well, I think it's important too because you've said that now twice. It's not as easy as just paying the players, and that of course is always the talking point. It seems like uh, a lot of people have that that thought of like, hey, just pay the players. Now, uh, why is it not? as easy as just paying the players and I'll start with with my version of the answer and really it's it's not that easy because every single player is worth a different amount of money and if you pay football players or basketball players then you're going to have to end up paying soccer players and you're going to have to play baseball players and you're going to have to pay uh, members of the equestrian team and you're going to have to pay pay the women uh, women's swimming team and and women's basketball i mean i mean unless you're going to make specific rules where only certain sports get paid which i believe would directly uh, go against title nine which uh represents or which uh holds up equality throughout college sports as far as scholarships go the number same amount of scholarships for men's sports that's to be the same amount of scholarships for women's sports and so on and so forth so I think that's why it's that, that that's my version of the answer of why hey just pay the players seems like that's an impossibility and it's not that easy yeah you you definitely touched on on two of the biggest things there I I, I will expand on it so I, I'm glad that you said different players are worth are, are worth different amounts of money and that's true um, does the NCAA say, um, but everyone gets paid the same? Is that fair? Is that wh- how much? What is how much is the same? Are you going to give everybody like I don't know a thousand dollars a year? Are you going to give everyone twenty thousand dollars a year? Are you going to give if if you're giving them twenty thousand dollars a year? How can you justify giving Baker Mayfield twenty thousand dollars a year while also giving um, the backup catcher on the softball team twenty thousand dollars a year. If um, I, I think uh, that's that's going to breed jealousy, it's going to breed contempt. Um, I, I think a vast majority of um, a lot a lot of adults don't understand market value. I think I, I, I think it's naive to think that a large swath of college athletes, all of them in the country, are going to understand market value. Um, uh, what's what's more? Oh, that's right. The you know the NCAA is not just Division One football and basketball. It's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and there's more sports than just football and basketball. There's Division, th- there's there's D three equestrian teams. You're gonna pay them too under title because because you brought up Title Nine legally they would have to because Title Nine basically says you have to treat men and women exactly the same equal in all of their sports which presumably would mean the NCAA would have or the athletic departments would have to pay them an equal amount of money um there's just so many logistical problems with it not to mention just the you know if you do decide you're going to do that um it, it would it would bankrupt a lot of athletic departments for instance i'll just pick out a random school do you really think louisiana lafayette can afford to pay their they're starting shortstop twenty thousand dollars a year. No, I mean, of course not. Of course of not. Co- of course not. And so the let alone the, every every other member of the team that same amount of money and every other 
member of every other sports team on campus the same amount of money. Yeah, it's so it's 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 so so the people who say pay all the players, I, I'm telling you right now, it is logistically and legally impossible, and it's a bad idea, and that it just the the argument needs to stop now. Or I mean, you you can keep making the argument, but just realize when you come into the public arena, you're going to get embarrassed. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about. Um, I mean, I tried looking this up, and I can't really think of any any uh, specific examples of how this story, this NCAA basketball corruption story, could could also impact college football. Aside from just the idea that hey, other uh, college football recruits are the same exact way, it just it's are, are being offered money and are being paid. I mean, it, and then the same thing can happen in college football. Maybe it already is happening. Uh, from your perspective, how, how could the story impact college football? Is it just that? Just like, hey, that's maybe the same exact thing is happening, or is there maybe a different aspect of the story that could, that could actually affect college football? Well, I mean, if there's any changes that are going to be made, it's going to spill over to the other sports. And th- this really only affects, at least in-, in terms of notoriety, it only it only really affects just the two major revenue sports, uh, which is basketball and football. And of course, basketball is has is is the sport that's been swept up in this FBI probe. But I mean, football is is the king of college sports, and it always will be. It's the biggest money maker. So it's. Uh, it, it'd be foolish to suggest that any sort of major waves that happen in terms of regulation with college basketball also wouldn't spill over uh, to college football, which is a much bigger, I, I got to think in college basketball or in college football, there's much more um, indiscreet money changing hands in college football just because um, there's more players um, and there's frankly just more high profile programs and there's just, there's a lot more interest. So um, it does, it really affects everything. And I, and I'm not, I, I don't I don't have a solution for it. I'm not one of these guys who's going to get up, you know, on my high horse and say you got to do this and this and my way goes or anything. Um, it's it's a it's a layered, complex situation, and I, I think we're going to have a public debate about it. And you know, hopefully this time around, and it's not the first time we've had this public debate, but hopefully this time around, kind of more tangible solutions come forward. And and I I, I like thoughtful solutions, ones that uh, you know are are fair for everybody, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens, and I'm, I'm, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't deeply concerned about the health of, of college sports going forward because I, I'm, um, n- not entirely sure what to make of this. I, I, th- I think this does have the potential to be catastrophic for college sports. It has the potential to be. I'm not saying it is, but the potential is there. Well, OU has not been mentioned in any of these stories. And other schools like Texas was mentioned in that Yahoo Sports story from last week. And then former OSU men's basketball assistant Lamont Evans was actually indicted last year. Then he was fired by the team. So some schools close to Oklahoma have been implicated in this college basketball corruption stuff. But again, not OU. I, I kind of hesitate to ask this question because technically... There's no evidence to suggest that it's a problem in Norman, but is it possible that OU is, is one of these schools that's cheating? Are you talking about basketball? Are you talking about in general? Uh, since let's stick to basketball, considering that that's the only that's the big time sport that's that's under fire right now. Sure, is 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 it possible that that Oklahoma is one of these schools? I mean, there is what 20, 25 schools listed in that Yahoo Sports report. Oklahoma nowhere near it i think it's uh yeah i I think it's very unlikely that ou basketball is cheating i think that's very unlikely 
Um, like you said, there's no evidence to suggest uh, whether they are or aren't. Um, so I, I just, it, it's it's hard for me to believe. I I, I got to think if they were cheating, uh, they would have had much you know much more consistent and uh, an impressive success. I, I um, no, <laughs> I'm serious. I know if, there's I know there, it's just it's kind of sounds you funny, can I, I'm sorry you you can go and look at the rivals recruiting rankings for college basketball and you can pick out the teams that are cheating. It's that simple. All right, well, I mean, since we don't have any evidence of this type of cheating, then I'm I'm going to give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt right now. Uh, although, I mean, with Trey Young going to Oklahoma, the cynic in me thinks, you know, I, I think, you know, in my head, like, hey, is, is Trey Young getting paid somehow to play at Oklahoma? Because, I mean, he could have gone anywhere, but let me just say there's a big but in there at the same time. I actually do kind of buy the notion that Young really just wanted to stay home, make OU basketball relevant, and win a national championship because that's, although he still from time to time talks about national championship, it's it's not looking not looking great. But early in the year when Oklahoma was playing so well, I mean, he would talk about how national title that was the main goal, coming here and, and winning a national championship. Now, uh, so basically, yeah, so I I can buy the idea of Trey Young just saying, hey, you know what, I've grown up in Norman I've been an OU fan my entire life I want to stay here make OU basketball relevant win a national championship do all that before I leave after one year and go make millions and millions of dollars in the NBA so I mean I can believe that Young would actually be okay with not taking any money while he's at Oklahoma because he knows it's not worth it to break the rules because in no time he'll be in the NBA making a bunch more money and that's all assuming that this pay the top players thing happens like legitimately everywhere i mean not just like at these schools that have been mentioned by the yahoo sports report i mean everywhere and and i've talked to some some friends of mine and some people that have been around college basketball for a long time and that have around big time programs and i mean people i I, and i I won't say any names which i know is kind of a cop-out but just to protect people i mean like i've heard like it I, i i know people that think literally everybody is getting some sort of payment like even like bench guys that you wouldn't even expect to get paid so huh interesting yeah i mean they 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 might be right i don't know I, so, yeah I think- that's the thing and that's so it makes you it makes you wonder but like at this at this point maybe i'm being incredibly naive but i really do have a difficult time thinking that this kind of cheating happens everywhere yeah i, I, really I do, do too i i think there's you know there's coaches out there who I think have just like the moral fortitude and I, I think there are coaches out there who will just say no. And you can just look at the results on the court too. I, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's definitely a, an, an interesting uh, subject. I, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to get, you know, an obvious like list of who is doing it and who is not. So I, I think it's, it's interesting for sure. I, I think, um, college basketball, I'm not sure. I, th- I think it's probably pre- prevalent amongst the huge programs. Um, but I, if, you know, gun to my head, I'd have to say just overall as a practice, it's, it's, it's gotta be much more prevalent in college football. Yeah. I mean, again, who knows? Again, like I, nobody knows, but I, I mean, like the, the, you and I, I, you know, I put this way. I, uh, I played two years of junior college baseball and, uh, was never offered one cent. So, uh, Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's same same here. I didn't play college baseball, but also was never offered any money to to play baseball for that for that matter. But it's uh, I mean the 
you know, bag the bagman. The bagman is is a it's it, it's a long honored college football tradition for a reason. So you know, it's it is what it is, and it's just you know, don't be naive. Yeah, well, I, you know, maybe I am, and I'm until I, I get this is like a big story, but like until like we just see so many more stories coming out, I'm I'm really gonna I'm gonna hold hold my position based on what I know now that I just. I have a hard time believing it. This happens everywhere. I just because it because if it did, I feel like it would be exposed a lot faster, and it would have it would have been exposed way earlier. But you also have to think, man. These like I, these big schools. These this is like a fraternity. These coaches, they yeah. know each other. Yeah, they're maybe familiar they all with just, each other. All they of just the all keep it a secret. Maybe I I, th- I think all of the guys getting paid in college basketball are are that 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 top crop of, of 10 or 15 kids, all those five-star kids, they probably know it's all going along their fraternity. They, they grow up playing AU ball together and national ball together. Um, I, I think this it's, it's kind of an open secret. I think all, everyone knows it's going on. And I, and I think um, people will probably stay, you know, hush, hush about it. Well, two more points before we move on to a little, little, little OU men's basketball because they actually did win. Uh, I did see that Alonzo uh, Ball had a quote like a week ago saying that uh, he never took any money at UCLA, but everybody else got money. <laughs> or like everybody else is getting paid. Did you see that quote? <laughs> that was pretty funny. I did not see That's That is hilarious, though. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he said, I'm sure he didn't say that it's, in you know, jest, pro- but probably a lot. Did. Probably a lot easier for him to not take money. You know, he comes from He comes from money, and he's... You know, it's you know what I mean. It, it, it's easy easier for him not to take money. And then the second thing I I was made aware of this also a few days ago by one of my coworkers. But apparently Charles Barkley, uh, in recent memory, did come out and say that he got paid like twenty grand to go to Auburn or at Auburn or I, I don't know if it was either to go to Auburn or if it was like while he was already there. But like I mean, Bar- you know, Barkley will say anything, and and he has. I mean, why would he lie about this? So I mean, those are just two. Ex- I mean. I just those are two quotes that I remember in the last few days that I thought were interesting that I I never heard that story before about Barkley, uh, but he actually I, I think it was like on the Graham Bensinger show, which is like a syndicated show where where uh, Graham does interviews with with a lot of athletes and and popular people. So apparently Barkley said that he was paid at some point while at Auburn, so like thousands of dollars. So yeah, I mean it, it definitely is happening. Uh, I mean, the, the recent stories suggest that it is. And then it's just a question is how how big of a problem is it? Uh, OK, Grant. Well, last week we made the, the the vow that we will not talk OU hoops until the Sooners won another game. And honestly, both you and I didn't think Oklahoma would win another game. At least I, I honestly did not think Oklahoma would win another game the rest of the year. I yeah. So. I had I had a bit of a caveat with with what I said there. I said based off of what we've seen in the last six games, I, I, I t- you know if they play like they have in the six games, I just I don't I didn't think it was realistic that they would win another game. Having that been said, they played pretty well on Saturday, so you know they they got out of their funk. And you know what, I, Trey Young seems to have gotten over his shooting woes, which I think is is massive. Going and could not be a better time. Beats Kansas State eighty six seventy seven. Saturday, and I must remind everyone listening to this, if you're listening this deep, you want to hear us talk OU basketball, thank you very much. You're listening to this on Wednesday or later. OU has already played Baylor on Tuesday night, so we don't know what happened in the OU-Baylor game yet, so this is talking about OU-Kansas State. And Yeah, I mean, Trey Young Grant, 6 of 9 from 3, he was finally starting to make his threes, 
And uh, I believe going into that game, he was like five of his last 32 from three, which is just horrible. And he's probably never shot the three ball that poorly in his entire life. So you know what? If if all of a sudden, like, maybe this is a, like, honestly, Grant, like, I've been saying this for weeks. Like, I just hope that Oklahoma can figure it out and turn it on at the right time. What if, like, now Trey Young just, like, actually figures something out and for, like, a month he plays like he did for the first month of the year? Like, it's kind of possible. And Oklahoma could, like, out of nowhere become, like, fun again. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, well, we got it. But just they still pump. don't play defense. Though. Of course. They still, yeah. And you know what? I thought there, there, were, there were stretches against K-State on Saturday where they, where they played pretty good defense for, for stretches. Um, it would be great if they're a little more consistent, but I mean, I, I don't remember seeing any stretches of, of good defense really at all in that six game losing streak. So that was just encouraging to see. Um, it's, it's worth it. K state Lee is a really good offensive team. They're one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country. They do not miss jump shots generally. Um, so I, I mean, it was, it was, it was nice to see them miss some Dean Wade missed some shots on Saturday, which was nice. I, I think that's, those are the first shots he's ever missed against Oklahoma. Um, so I, I I thought they played I thought I, I thought they played well they played well I think they can play better they they didn't play as well as they did during that you know during November and December but I don't know if you can expect that to happen but Lee Lon Kruger finally made some uh, some adjustments to the starting lineup a totally new starting lineup well he made those adjustments before Kansas and that didn't oh wait they did all those guys started against Kansas yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that, everyone. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, granted, Kansas and Kansas State are different teams, and Allen Fieldhouse is a place where it's impossible for Oklahoma to ever win there. But uh, yeah, they the, they made that all those starting lineup changes uh, before the Kansas game. All right, that's my that's my fault, sir. Everyone, I have tons of credibility. I know, um, but I, I I liked it. I I thought I I honestly I I didn't recall that from the Kansas game, but I do like those those moves. Um, I think it's smart to get Brady Manick out of the starting lineup. He. He purely needs to be a guy who comes off the bench and just sits in a corner uh, behind the three-point line and just shoots threes. I think that's his role right now until he becomes uh, he's he's got the tools to be a good defender. He's he's just got to get better at it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I Christian Doolittle. It, it's it seemed like just ever since he's come back from a suspension, that's when the team kind of went on a you know on a nosedive. Which is and and he he hasn't been playing well, but Christian Doolittle is really important to this team if they want to take any sort of step in March. He's just, he, he, I mean, he's, he's big, he's long, he's athletic. He was their second best player last year and he needs to start playing better. Um, so if, if giving him starter minutes is, is what's going to do that, then good. Um, I, I, I like Christian Doolittle out there. I think he's, he, he, he gives you size and he gives you length and athleticism, which I think is important. Um, if, if he could give you a little bit of scoring, I think, I think that would really help. And then at this, at this point in time, I, there's just absolutely no excuse for Kadeem Latin to be getting more minutes than Jamani McNeese. McNeese is, is better in every facet except for shooting free throws. You mentioned that uh, Kansas State's offen- offensively is, is really good and, and is able to make a lot of shots. So, I mean, you're praising the Oklahoma defense a bit. Also, too, Kansas State's defense going into that game was the second-best defense points allowed-wise in the Big 12, they- only allowing like 62 a game or something like that. And so Oklahoma finally snapped out of their funk and, and put up a lot of points yeah k-state plays kind of a kind of a wisconsin style they they really do use the the shot clock but the, that doesn't mean they're not an efficient offense so they don't they don't score as much as the other teams but they're they they are a very efficient offensive team they they get good shots and and also i want to bring it up the um 
Barry Brown, the starting point guard for Kansas State, he might be the most underrated player in the Big 12. He's a really good player. He's a really good player. And um, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. there's a lot of good players in the Big 12 that are just very underrated. So I just I wanted to give a shout out to Barry Brown. I'm sure he's listening. Well, again, Oklahoma playing Baylor Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. By the time you're listening to this podcast, they will uh, have already completed that game. And if Oklahoma looks like garbage, because let's 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 get let's 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 stick to facts. The Sooners still have not won a road game since January. Oh, wait, no, hold on. Since December. Sorry. It was uh, the last time they won a road game was in Fort Worth against TCU in the Big 12 opener, which I believe was December 30th, maybe. December 31st like no I think it was December 30th so if Oklahoma can snap that road losing streak in this Baylor game that uh, has already happened by the time you're listening to this then these positive things we're saying for the last five minutes will be even more positive than uh, than they already are we just don't know yet because we can't tell the future and so yeah that's that's why it sucks that we we're gonna have to wait you know obviously and and we're not going to be able to talk about the game right now, but if they if if OU can go in the Waco and win this game, I mean I I'm I'm going to be feeling a lot better about the team going into March. I think a win tonight will will probably uh, lock lock them into the tournament. I think one more win will make them a lock for the tournament. Um, whether you know it be Baylor, Iowa State, or, or a Big Twelve tournament game, I think one win will lock them in. Um, I, I don't know. This is a Baylor team that's fighting for their lives. I think Baylor has to win this game to keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive, uh, barring any sort of big run in the Big 12 tournament. Um, and so it's on the road, uh, an 8 o'clock, eight o'clock tip. It's, it's going to be a tough environment. And if, if OU can uh, can show up and, and win this game, I mean, I, that's that'll be a, a very good win. I'm not holding my breath. I, I still fully expect them to lose the game, but it's... Uh, no, it's 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 fun to think maybe they actually have a chance because it's the first time we thought that in, in over a month now. Hopefully, just like one win and one positive game can be a massive boost to this team because they had seen so many L's back to back to back to back to back, and things are going so poorly that you know in sports, like granted, like recent history has shown us that this team is not that good, but maybe it's also one of those things where really one win or one positive thing can actually snap a, a, a group out of it and come back to playing the way they did play earlier in the year when Oklahoma was reaching its its full potential. Yeah, Lee, and I, do, I just want to mention one more thing. I, I was, I, I'd kind of pleaded to our audience to reach out to us if anyone knew anything, you know, more about X's and O's of basketball and uh, kind of, you know, inside stuff like that. I thought Fran Fraschilla on the broadcast on Saturday, Lee, did a really good job of, of diagnosing Oklahoma's defensive woes. Um, and he, he, he basically pointed out all the stuff that I've complained about that I wasn't able to articulate because I'm, I'm not really you know an elite basketball mind but he's talking about how they they refuse to pressure the ball which is which every good defensive team pressures the ball very aggressively um he he was talking about how they they switch lazily which i've i've criticized them for the entire year just for switching in general but he's talking about how they they switch lazily in the sense where they'll um where a lot of teams will do strategic switches where they won't switch everything um OU switches everything and they do it with not a lot of effort. So that, that's kind of why he why he pointed that out. And I and I think that's that's dynamite. That that's why the other teams can get so many open shots. Uh, they don't pressure the ball and they they're very lazy with their switches. So um, I at least we you know we, we we know to look for that now. And what that told me too when he was pointing that out, and and I'm with you because that's something that we've been seeing all year. But you and I were more we're more in tune with the football X's and O's and the football 
linguistics and, and breaking that down. We're not quite there with basketball. I mean, granted, like we've been watching basketball for years and years and years, and we understand the game, obviously. But so, anyways, point being is that if a if Fran Vachilla points out that Oklahoma switches all the time and they do it with not a whole lot of effort, certainly opposing teams and opposing coaches see that on film. And if they know that Oklahoma's defense is consistently just switching everything, they can. I'm sure they can draw up plays that take advantage of the fact that Oklahoma they know is going to switch over and over and over again and then which I'm sure teams have and that's why we've seen Oklahoma give up so many open shots all year long because it's almost like the Oklahoma defense is just telegraphing what they're going to do which is probably very very easy to game plan on offensively for the opposing team yeah absolutely and these are d1 college players if they get a lot of open shots they're probably going to make most of them yeah, you know, unless they have an off night like Trey Young I mean, has and, had for the last six weeks. In the Big games and the Big Twelve, they're going to make them for damn sure. Yeah, except for that's the, that's what's so frustrating though is like that one game where uh, they they lost to Texas in Norman. Texas missed a lot of open shots that game and still beat OU by like twelve points. I mean, so like the shots weren't even falling that well for Texas at least in the first half. I think Texas made more shots in the second half. But uh, even in games where like teams weren't making shots, Oklahoma could not take advantage of it during that that disastrous losing streak but uh and so i don't well, hopefully I don't, it's hopefully it's over now and i don't think anybody expects ou to be dominant defensively um but it just a, a little more effort i think would go a long way and also uh i they can they can certainly help their cause out by not turning it over as much and ju- and and not giving up so many second chance points they they're during that six game losing streak the amount of second chance points on offensive rebounds they were giving up was absolutely just obscene um, and that needs to stop. So, and I, and I think that that's something that could be corrected simply with watching film and effort. That's it. So, and that, that can certainly go a long way to helping them and hopefully make some sort of run in March here. Okay. Well, that is our show for this week. We will be back next Wednesday with more OU football talk, probably lots of post NFL combine discussion in that one until then for grant. I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.